How you doing, everybody? This is Mr. Big Mouths, a.k.a. Dante Insay, chilling in the house today. I don't know what y'all to, but this COVID then turned into a motherfucking protest, losing somebody's life. It's It's been crazy in these streets right now, but I would like to talk to my friend, JR. What up, JR? What's up? What's up? How's it going? Uh, I'm chilling. How How are you feeling about this protest thing going on and and this whole George thing? How, how are you feeling about that right now? Like the 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 pandemic on top of the riots and what's going on? It's been it's been kind of crazy, you know. Um, I've been home for a couple of months now, so like seeing that on TV and the way it's uh, being handled, uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's out of control. It mm-hmm. could be handled differently. People are, are going a little crazy with the looting and stuff like that. But I understand. You know, people are angry. We, you know, as a community, they need to get together and they need to show, you know, what's going on. And mm-hmm. you know, so it's been kind of crazy. And staying with the pandemic, staying at home. And trying to be safe and all that, it's getting on people's, you know, uh, people's are getting bored and they're getting kind of antsy. So I understand people are anxious to be out there. So if they need to be marching or whatever they need to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole cop and doing that to to that poor man, it's kind of crazy. Do you see do you see a difference from because you're, you're a mature, mature guy, you, you've, you've been around in the 90s. And you have a history of what went on with Stonewall on walls. You wasn't, of course, you wasn't around in the, in the, this, the uh, late sixties, early seventies. But you already know the the reason of Stonewall. Do you feel like it's like that right now? Like it's going in. That's what what this is like right now with um, this this gentleman dying and this protest. Go, um, this protest fighting the police and stuff like that. Do you feel it's the same like Stonewall with um, gay rights and people fighting for their for their rights? Um, definitely. Uh, history repeats itself. Mm. And this is something that you see it's going to repeat up because as the years go by, racism is something that we have been dealing with for hundreds of years. Our ancestors dealt with it. It's not something that's really going away. It's, I feel like over the years it's been masked. You know, people have to tolerate it to mm-hmm. to get through their careers and everything like that. But racism is really out there. And it's something that, you know, we deal with it. And people pretend like they're cool with you and everything like that. But it's there's always that underlying feeling that they're looking at you in a racist way and they're looking down at you so you see it by you know like you getting a promotion at work and Mm -hmm. letting pass through there's a lot of things so yes um it is very much like stonewall and people are rioting you have to fight you have to show you know the government and and you know the, the leaders of this country that we're not playing anymore this is not a joke this is not something that we're gonna tolerate anymore and, yeah. and, and you know what? Let's not even, you know, 
like like I said, protesting is very important. Um, you have to turn around and make a stand because if you don't make a stand for anything, you'll you'll settle for anything. You know what I mean? Um, I just always say, just try to protest the right way. And speaking of protesting the right way, it's sad to see that a lot of white supremacy has been pretending to be a part of the Black Lives Matter. And I've seen videos where they they was giving um, black young men bricks where black women had stepped in front and said, what are you, are you crazy giving somebody bricks? I've seen a woman scream, a black woman scream at white people, like, don't mess up this, this neighborhood. Don't take this shit around here. Take that shit somewhere else. I've seen, um, I've seen, you know, a majority of white white people spray paint Black Lives Matter and using the Black Lives Matter movement and changing it into something that can be so negative. You know what I mean? I mean, and it's sad to say, like, it's at a point where mm-hmm. it's like sabotage, you, you know? I was going to say that. I was going to say sabotage. Um, they don't want to seem, they want to make you, um, make us look like animals and... They're going to be out there trying to make us look like animals. Like, we're doing all these things, and we don't deserve to fight because look what happens, you know. And and looting, you know, I understand that even even the looting, the way people are looting, it's making us look bad as, you know, what what is behind the looting, you know. What is that getting resolved? What is that resolving anything? Mm-hmm. But I understand as when I stand back and, and look at it, I understand why people are trying to make a big commotion because they're trying to, you know, we're trying to portray that we have to make make it raw, um, turn the city around. Like, we're going to take it and rip it apart mm-hmm. so you can listen to us, so we can have a voice, so you can pay attention to us. Mm-hmm. So we have to do the rioting and, and, you know, and act like animals because that's the only way they're going to listen and, and take action and, and actually open their eyes that there is a problem, mm-hmm. you know. And when police officers act like the way they acted, they're animals with uniforms. Mm-hmm. And, and they're showing us the same thing. We're screaming out for help and... We're showing them that we're acting as much animals as you are by, you know, by killing another black guy and everything like that. It's just, it's just disgusting. It, it is. And don't get it twisted because, you know, I hate you to say we, but I've been seeing white people loot and getting their Louis Vuittons and getting it and they, they, um, Birkin and everything. And I've seen white police officers, and this is not only New York, but in various places white police officers running and getting Nikes and throwing it in the back of their car. But there's going to be those people that are opportunistic. They're going to be opportunistic and they're going to take advantage of any situation to get over. And what perfect excuse if everybody's looting, we might as well get something for free Mm -hmm. and, you know, get over. There's always somebody who's going to take an opportunity and take advantage of it in ways that 
it's not intended for. So, and it makes it look worse than it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So definitely. Well, you're an OG. You know, I'm just saying you're an OG. So when did you see, have you seen this? When, besides the, uh, the Rodney King riot, was that the last time you seen it get this bad? Or was there another time that you seen it get as bad as this? Well, I've lived through a lot of different things. Um, I lived through, when I was growing up, um, like when the Central Park jogger in New York City and the way they acted with the, the five that were convicted and mm -hmm. those young boys, um, I lived through that. I saw that case day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Just very similar to the pandemic. It was in the news every single day. We couldn't turn on the news without having to see those kids being convicted, wrongly accused of an, a crime they did not commit. So I had to live that. And I lived that. And people were rioting during that time and trying to get these kids out. But they didn't have... They were... Obviously, they they, um, they grew up in the projects very similar to where I grew up, and you know, and they just didn't have the representation. You know, they were appointed lawyers from the city. They were unsure. They were uneducated. They didn't know their rights, and you know, they just fell through the cracks of the system. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, and things like that happened, and unfortunately, and they had to serve time. They, those guys, are my age. So I, I was a young boy during that time, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And, I've seen them today. And they actually sat down there and did, uh, if guys, if y'all don't know what he's talking about, check out When, when, you, when They See Us. It's on Netflix, uh, If mm -hmm. um, what he's talking about. You have to see the documentary. It's, it's really, really good. Um. And, and it's crazy, and that's what that was. How many years later? That was what 10, 20 years. Yeah, twenty something years later. Twenty something because years. They, because right now I'm forty six, and they're around the same age. They might be a little younger than me. They're in their early forties. Some of them, um, one or two of them, are around forty four, forty five. So they're around the same age as me. Uh, so during that time, we were ten, eleven, twelve. That was our age, mm -hmm. and I remember that happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I was probably in the sixth, seventh grade, and I remember that. And those kids were terrified, and you could see them terrified in the news. And you and you look at yourself, and you're like, "How can those kids actually do that? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right." And mm -hmm. it never seemed right. And obviously, you know, thirty something years later, you see that, and. You're, and it was um, my gut feeling and things that were people were feeling. Those kids were innocent. Mm -hmm. And now it's come back and it seems like it's not been a change. And the orange man, because I don't say his name on my podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't like to say his name. The orange man. The clown. Yeah, the clown, the orange man. Basically saying... Well, if they do something, shoot first, or shoot into the crowd, or just just promoting negativity, and it's it's so sad. And I think this is what we we did what we needed to do by getting 
minority women in Congress and in the seats. And now we need to do what we need to do to get him the hell out. So that's that's our main objective. That's the best thing we can hope for. Um, well, he comes from a privileged family. Of so course. He's never going to know the struggle. Mm. He doesn't know how to be a minority in the United States. He doesn't know what it's like to live in the projects. He doesn't know what it's like to be targeted by a police officer. He doesn't know walking the streets of New York City and how they look at you and how you cross the street. And even if you're innocent, you feel like you are a target and you feel like you have to explain yourself and you have to put yourself out there like, you know, um, you know, prove yourself, you know, like, we're innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. And that's what people don't realize. And in this country, when you live in, you know, in, you know, the projects and you grew up in, um, you, you grew up in less than a silver it's spoon a in your mouth, you have that, that you have to prove yourself innocent instead of the other way around. And it's, and it's really uncalled for. Mm-hmm. And people like uh, that clown are privileged and they won't ever see the light of day. They will never know what it's like to walk down the street as a minority and be stopped by the cops when at the end of the month sometimes they have a quota and they target you. You're targeted. And there's nothing you can do about it because whatever they say, it's what goes. And and. If you don't have the money to get a good attorney and you get appointed one by the city, they're a bunch of clowns too. Those those are the, you know, somebody has to graduate at the bottom of the class. Those are the ones that are appointed by the court, mm-hmm. you know, and it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. And, and, and it's so funny when you talk about the, the, the female jogger who, who put those kids in jail. I think the best thing about 2020 which is a big uproar for a lot of people because you can't hide nothing anymore now via social media. Via social media, you you can't do but so much. So that point gets me back to when you're in quarantine, I don't know how your ass get in trouble in quarantine and how you got to be beating people up in quarantine. I still don't understand. But just like the gentleman who, um, and all this happened, what, weeks and weeks intervals. Am I correct? All this stuff happened in weeks intervals. So, yeah, yeah. So the gentleman who recorded the white lady because he just said, you need to put your, your dog on a leash and she was outraged and yelling at him and, and walking towards him. She, he was like, miss, put your mask on. You are yelling towards me. You, you're doing too much. And he's recording her and now she's lying saying, Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the police and say that you tried to do this to me. Why he's recording her, and she calls the police. If she if he didn't record her, or if this was back in in 1995 or four, what would have happened to him? You know what I'm saying? Oh, would yeah. you know what would he be like those kids? Would he sit down there and be killed? You know you know what I'm saying? Thank God. He recorded that and what she did, and she lost her job. They t- mm-hmm. Peter took her dog, and she she made a, a a sorry, I'm sorry, which, you know, 
I don't I, I don't give two shits about her sorry. And uh-huh. I, I uh, uh, uh. You know when I'm doing a good interview somebody calls me. If y'all hear that ring, that's somebody calling me when I'm doing a good shit. Um <laughs> but um is that always? <laughs> yeah, right? So, um, then after that situation happened, then it gets to... Now she's about to go to jail for falsifying a report. You know, and that's the type of stuff that that needs to be seen. And it's not we're making things up. It, it's, 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 oh, they're lying. Oh, they're they're just saying things, you know, and it's so unfortunate. And uh, something that you and my view, my my listeners need to to watch is Chelsea Handler's um, documentary where she tried to do a documentary and she's talking to white people and say, do you do you have privilege? Oh, but 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 they can read, but they got jobs. They should be happy. What were you talking about? And even even black people turned around and told her in her face. They was like, I don't trust you. You made that comedy show, Uganda, and you sitting there and you want to do... Are you for us? Or are you? Or is this, this something that you want to do for your documentary to make you feel good? Exactly. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And I think people are not understanding that. Majority of white people who are not allies... And I mean, allies are, are like, you come into my hood and you hang out with me. You sit down there and something goes down, you down with me and you see what goes on. Now, I'm an ally today and I'm protesting today, but I'm going back to my cozy home tomorrow. And whatever happens to Bobby, I don't even knew Bobby for that minute because he only made me laugh or I'm having fun with him for right now. Chelsea Handler is not an ally. You can tell she's not an ally. You know? So, she's not the person. Uh, she's looking for the ratings and she's looking for obviously some attention and she wants uh, to use you for her ratings and exploit mm. you. But that's a form of exploitation and she's trying to get away with it. Again, people are masking it. It's racism. It's blatant out racism and they mask it. And a lot of white people, and I'm not saying all white people, mm. but um, a good majority of them, they grow up that the color of the skin is privileged. It's privileged. Mm. And they don't have to look back. You could have a white girl or white boy walking down the street and they're always going to target the minority. Mm. It is. It's just, there's a double standard. It's, they're going to be seen as safe and we're going to be seen as, uh, there's trouble coming. Something's happening. Or you look like someone that just committed a crime. That's happened to me. I walked down the streets of Miami. I was targeted. Uh, just walking down the street, I had just moved to Miami. They targeted me. They said that I fit the description of somebody who broke into a car just a few minutes ago. I get stopped. I get frisked. I get thrown to the ground. They run my background. I'm fine. I continue walking. Five blocks later, another set of like five or six cop cars surround me. Or the same thing that I fit the description. Mm-hmm. The same police officer that stopped me five minutes ago was there. And he was part of the five cars. And I'm like, tell him, you ran my background. I was clear. 
oh, we have this procedure. We need to do it again. That's wrong. That's wrong. I've never heard so of that in my... Okay. It happened to me. It happened to me. And it's like, what the hell? You know, it's, it's and, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of policing don't know how to police, or you just know to, to put a badge on. You don't know, you know, because police officers I know, I'll say that, um, they use their common sense. They use their common sense. Listen, we just we just checked this guy. We ran his stuff. Leave that one alone. We already did this and stuff and stuff like that, you know. And it's unfor- it's it's really really unfortunate. Can I ask you this question? Because you know we were supposed to be on one topic, but you know what? With this with with, with this um so much, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we. One thing I gotta say about because this is your first time on here with me. Mm-hmm. One thing about this, we'll go on a subject and it'll go and be like, oh shit, and then we go to we'll go to something else. It's always it's always like that. Do you see? In our in in gay community, the same thing. And did you did you see that in the nineties compared to now? And have you the seen same, a change? The same thing of what? Uh, the same thing of the difference in cult on culture, like black blacks and white uh, whites, um, Hispanics and blacks in gay culture being treated differently. Of course, um, when even. Something like the gay pride, you know, a lot of people show up, you know, thousands and thousands of people come in to the city for gay pride and they seem like they're supporting you. Mm-hmm. And then um, prior to that, it could be the same police officers uh, harassing you for hanging out in front of a, a, a um, you know, like the bodega, you know, the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are. Um, come out to the pride parade and they look at you like you're a freak and they're supposedly supporting the whole thing. They're patrolling the area and they're laughing at people. They're laughing at um, the trans community and mm-hmm. they're laughing at, at the way people are dressed and the way they're like carrying on and they're celebrating. So, yeah, it's it's not much of a difference. The years go by and a few things change, but everything sort of stays the same. Mm-hmm. And we kind of like put it on a back burner because things are not happening as much. But it doesn't mean that discrimination has ever been abolished or nothing really goes away. Mm-hmm. It just puts, they kind of keep it in the quiet. There's always something bigger that comes out, just like epidemics and stuff like that. There's always something bigger that comes out. So then it seems like it's diminished, but nothing is really diminished. Mm-hmm. It's just put on the back burner. Um, it's so funny that you talk, and talk about um, police joking around about gay pride and stuff. I was going to ask you about something else, but I'll ask you about that later. Um, about laughing at gay pride and stuff like that. I was watching the, the, the documentary of Marshall P. Johnson. And I always, you know, I always try to talk about movies on my, on my movies and documentaries on my, my cast. So Marsha P. Johnson's on Netflix and it, they talk about solving her case that, you know, was she, did she fall? 
Was she chased because of the mob? Was the mob ru ruling things in that time of um, during the gay pride? And was the mob running gay pride? And um, this 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 young lady was solving her case. Well, she she was an OG. She was, I, I remember. I actually so actually now that I, that I think about it, I've seen part of that um, documentary. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I haven't seen it in full is because I knew Marsha P. Johnson. Um, I, oh, oh, you, yeah. you okay, legend. <laughs> and, uh, I grew up like knowing her because I was I was hanging out in the village since the age of 11, 12, you know, and okay, and so I used to see her all the time walking down the street, and she was such a pleasant uh, uh, lady, you know. Obviously, she was uh, trans, and she was trans when trans wasn't an in thing like it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, today is sort of like you know, celebrities are becoming trans and, you know, you have the Bruce Jenners that are becoming Caitlyn. Uh, it was a taboo back then. It wasn't like, you know, it is today that it's so accepted. So Marsha, can, can I, she, can, was, she was out there. She was out there. She was being herself. Mm. What you say? Can I can I interrupt you because a lot of people get confused. I was just having this conversation on um the live with with somebody and 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 people this is not instagram live this is app live so um grinder has live and it's so many interesting people and interesting conversations so that's when i say the live that's what i'm talking about so it was a conversation of um mm -hmm. like being confused mm -hmm. with transgender being confused with uh cross-dressing being confused with all that stuff so Marsha p johnson i was a little for me because you know that's not my my mm -hmm. my area they said you know when you would see on on the documentary they said when you would see her and even her speaking she'd be like you could call me whatever boy girl whatever i just go with the flow because one minute she would dress as a boy and wonders he would dress as a girl it didn't matter so was she yeah. trans or was it more she wasn't it wasn't like she was a drag queen. Mm. She she was more trans. I I would think because she, for the most part, I would always see her dress as a woman. Mm -hmm. She had on her makeup. She loved wearing her makeup. She would do her doobies. She would be out there with her rollers. Um, she she portrayed herself like a woman, a a, a lady. Um, I don't know if she had gotten you know, surgery or anything like that. But So we would but, want to probably but say... For the most part, I knew her as a lady. Okay. And um, I I don't remember ever seeing her like a guy or dressed like a guy. Mm -hmm. uh, when I saw her in the village, maybe that was her time to, to perform or feel like she wants to be a lady. But that's when I always saw her. Mm. And she would come up to me, give me hugs. She, would always, she was always such a nice lady that she would get... Whether she knew you or not, she would walk down the street and give you a hug, and she was like throwing kisses in the air because she was like, um, like she was a Hollywood celebrity throwing kisses in the air mm -hmm. and say hi to you, and she was like saying hi to everybody, like she knew. So she was like the local celebrity; everybody knew her. Mm -hmm. You know, you she would walk down the village, and everybody knew her. Some people used to stare, but for the most part, she was such a genuine character. She was out there. She was fun. 
she made it fun and she was always happy. Mm. So, you know, I just, I, I don't see why things happen like that, you know, whatever, you know. Now, That's why I guess I haven't paid attention to the, the documentary per se, but. I definitely, definitely check it out um, when we finish speaking and whatnot. But for me, from what I've seen the documentary and what I've seen from her, I can't say what you personally know, because you only know of what you've seen. I'm only going by the documentary. I would think that she would be non-binary, because they said she one man should be a boy and one man should be dressed like a girl. A girl, but like you said, you only know her dressed as a girl. I know Sylvia. Um, what was her name? Sylvia Salvada. I I, I forgot her name. I, I keep messing. Her friend. Her friend. Yes. The one that opened up the case? Yes. Um, yes. Not the one that opened up the case. It was the Spanish young lady. And she was known to it was Sylvia. I uh, forgot the last name. That I don't know. That I was know. I know I know that was her friend that she was always with, the Spanish and the Spanish one. I know that she was trans. I know that that for a fact. Through the, she's the one for, I think she's the one from the movie, the documentary. That. She is she is too. There was two of them. There was Marsha okay. and it was uh, Sylvia. And Marsha died okay. before Sylvia, if I'm correct. Okay. Yeah. So I know that she was trans, and they were saying that she she was trans, and that's what she went by. So, um, that's interesting. So you so you know what what is it at eleven years old? Because if you want to go back on on documentaries where you look at Paris is burning, and you see the two young kids, and Paris is burning, and they're like, "Well, how old are you?" I'm like ten, eleven. What is it about being 11 years old where you're hanging out? And how do you get go at 11 years old hanging out in the goddamn street and your ass supposed to be home? Well, well, <laughs> as, um, what happened was um, I lived in the Bronx. I, I, obviously, I would wait until my parents fell asleep and I would sneak out uh, the fire escape and get out and get there before they even woke up. I would spend the whole night and take the train over. I've been taking, see, when you grew up in New York, I grew up in a household where um, both my parents had to work okay. to um, make ends meet. So you grew up in the projects and all, and everything like that. You have to grow up pretty quickly. So by the age, like when I was in the second grade, while most people are, are being taken to school, I took a train to school by myself. Mm. I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. My mother was like, "Okay, you're gonna take that train across the platform. You're gonna get off at four stops on uh, Kingsbridge Road, and here's the key for the house, and you get yourself in." So I grew up pretty quickly, um, and I did a lot of things that usually people my age don't do. Mm. So. I was pretty savvy. I was pretty much of a, a, a you know, a city kid, uh, you know, yeah. the project savvy. So when I knew how to take trains, so I I was so once my parents would fall asleep, I would go and sneak to the village and be in the village. And that's when I started meeting my what I call my drag mothers. And mm. what drag mothers, um, what they do is they take a kid that is young, is unimpressionable, and they want to show them the ropes on how to survive the streets, how to survive 
all the shadiness, all the, you know, to protect yourself from the bullies, mm. from other people. So they take you under their wing and they call themselves drag mothers and they mm-hmm. play the role of your mother. Like they're your mother. They protect you. They hold you in their bosom and they, they show you the streets. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And so that's how I used to, at the age of 11, be out there till two or three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and then try to get back home before my parents woke up, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what made you different from kids who were impressionable to do escorting and kids who sat down there with the drug epidemic and, and, and especially when the, the HIV epidemic, the AIDS epidemic and the HIV epidemic was like heavy. What made you survive all, all that? Was it your drag mothers that made you survive all that, or was that you per se? Um, it was a combination. I came from a strong household. My mo- my parents were very strict, especially my mom. So she instilled in me from early on, even way back when, when I was in the sixth grade and, and 11 years old, um, about using condoms. One day you're going to start having sex, use condoms and all that and very much so about not using drugs and everything like that my i remember my mother used to pop up in my school not no parents teacher conference or anything like that she used to pop up in my school very different from what kids are today mm-hmm. kids today are on their, their cell phones i didn't have cell phones i i had a dime to make a phone call for an emergency I had, a, you know, so it was different. Um, my, I always had the fear. I had fear instilled in me at the same time. I respect my parents, which sometimes you don't see today, or the discipline that, you know, my mother could pop up in my school at any point in time. Mm-hmm. But when I, I thought she was working, she was actually coming to visit and seeing my teachers, and it wasn't even parents' teacher conference. So it was a different times. It was different times than it is today. A lot of parents these days, because everything has gotten even more expensive, they have to work. They don't have the luxury to leave work. And not not that my parents had the luxury either, but my parents were on top of me to do things right. And they, and if not, I got a beat down. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was you, they take away your cell phone, you get up beat down mm-hmm. so you know you'll remember to do your shit right so it was different it was different times people respected their parents um parents disciplined you and it wasn't like the fear that they're gonna take you to dyphus or they're gonna call the cops or they're gonna um call the authorities and report you if you needed to beat your child they needed to beat your child that's what you did and that's what you grew up and nobody saw it as abuse they saw it as discipline it's point blank. It's different. You know, you hear, you hear, um, like the younger kids now talk about, um, it, people talk to, to the young kids like, "Oh, you're sensitive," and the young kids shoot back at, "No, we're not sensitive. It's like we're not taking the shit y'all used to take, and we're not, you know, the shit that y'all saying is is wrong, and like I'm, I'm not like." Probably before in the nineties, you'd be like, "Yeah, she's a tranny," and now kids would be like, "That's wrong. You don't say that. That's real disrespect, unrespectful." Yeah. 
or that's transgendered. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many different names for the same things that we we call someone tranny. We didn't see it as disrespect. It was just what you call trans uh, gender today. We called tranny back then. Mm-hmm. It was just a different way of saying things. Um, we didn't see it like we were discriminating or talking down to them. Because at the end of the day, it's part of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. You know? And these days, they've added even more letters and more acronyms to it. Um, so, I don't know. Every day, there's something new. But it's it's not the same. It was, there was different times. We lived different. I think times were happier. You, you connected with people in a different way. It wasn't cell phones. We weren't connecting by texting and sending emojis mm-hmm. and sending all these uh, memes and all that. You actually paid attention to your friends. You actually spent time with your friends. You did things different. It was more pure during that time. Things were <laughs> now these days. You kind of ignore those things. So how do how, you know? I'm gonna be. Let's get a little spicy. Because how did you let's meet? How, how did you meet your? How did you meet your guys? Like how did you meet the boys? Like because you know you, they have growl like. A for A, Christian Mingle, Jesus and Jesus, the Lord is the Lord. So, 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 how did you? Did you? Did you go? Was it because you said you was you was hanging in the village since you was eleven years old? So, one, did you? Was it you couldn't get into the bar? So, was it just hanging on Christopher Street? Was it just walking in the street? Was it that bold in the nineties? Because the nineties was a tough. That was a tough time. You know what I mean? There was all sorts of things because back then, even the pier, it was so free that it was almost like, um, my God, I'm losing the what it was called, like Woodstock. Um, mm-hmm. It was sort of like Woodstock back then. Um, but everybody was free. The the pier, what it is today, it was the way it was back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pier back then was run down, and people were more free to do whatever they wanted. Uh, the police officers would never go down there because it was just run down. It was almost like the way when you live in the projects, they don't really come around unless they have to. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same thing. So the pier was more like a nude beach. People were suntanning with nude and broad daylight. And you would you would walk around, people were totally naked. Mm-hmm. And you would just walk around and no one was even hiding or anything. It was just a nude, it was almost like a nude beach, but it was on a pier. Mm-hmm. And it was run down. So it was mostly minorities. Now, uh, today, if you fast forward to today, it's, well, back, well, let me go back. Back then, it was so free. So if you were to even fool around with somebody on the pier, that's what you did. Mm-hmm. It was free for all. People were free balling. Uh, you could get down and dirty on the pier and, and you didn't feel like a police officer was going to catch you. It mm-hmm. was the norm, mm-hmm. you know? So people used to park their cars on the pier and have sex on the pier. So you met boys everywhere. And back then, they had the peep shows and and so many different places. And necessarily, they weren't looking at your age, per se. If you can go in there and pay for a booth, 
you would go in there. They weren't looking at your age. It wasn't, they really didn't care. So there was different times things were more free back then. And now when they cleaned up the pier, that's when you start seeing more white folks. You started seeing uh, more families. It became more family oriented. There was also a curfew. Back then, there was no curfew. You stayed there till five o'clock in the morning. People were drinking. People were voguing. Uh, Madonna didn't bring voguing. You know, Madonna, Madonna wasn't the one that invented voguing. Mm-hmm. The gays invented voguing way ahead that she made it the norm and popular. She wasn't the one that invented. So we we used to vogue on the streets on the pier way back before Madonna was even became popular, you know. So and she basically exploited some of the people that were voguing in, in that pier. Um, her dancers, I knew them as well. You know, they would hang out with us. They when instead of fighting and all that violence there is today, they used to vogue it out. Mm. They used to vogue it out. You used to throw your shade through voguing, and who vogued better? Very different from today. Mm-hmm. You have guns. People have, you know, it's, it's very different. It's much more violent. It's much more volatile. They didn't do that back then. Mm-hmm. What? Um. So I turn around. I, I, if anybody's, I always tell them I say. She didn't create voguing at all. So I had an argument with somebody where they was like, well, Janet Jackson um, was the one that... I said, let me tell you. I said, I love Janet, and Janet will always be my heart. But in all honesty, Madonna is the one who made a forefront for the AIDS epidemic and what it was about, and she spoke on it more than Janet did. Am I wrong or am I right? I just wanted to know. Because I had, I had two arguments. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, I watched documentaries and, and from... She brought it up to the forefront because she wasn't the one that invented it. She no, I didn't say... No, no, no. I'm not talking about Vogan. I'm talking about the AIDS epidemic of talking about the AIDS epidemic. Oh, case. yeah, of course. But um, Madonna obviously knew that that was an untapped market. She would go into the clubs and, and seek out the gays. And then obviously she knew some of her dancers or whatever, and her friends were positive, and and she she knew that that was an untapped market. She knew how to market herself, so she brought it out there, and she marketed herself when the time was right and people were willing to listen because no one really knew what the AIDS epidemic was. It mm-hmm. wasn't. It's something like. Or was it today? Like we don't know what COVID nineteen is. We don't know how dangerous it is. Same thing. People were dying of this disease, and it was called the gay disease when it first started. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a name for it. So then, when they finally did have a name for it, you know, people were still unsure, and it was a taboo. They just thought it was the gay disease. Still, it was a taboo. If you if you had HIV or or, or dying of AIDS, you must have been homosexual. Even if you were an actor and you portrayed that you were uh, big to do with the ladies, uh, if you ended up with HIV and AIDS, you must have been with a man at some point because it was the gay disease. And so Madonna knew to tap into it and you know and bring herself up during those times. And of course, you know people sympathized and 
they use the vulnerability of, of a gay person as you know as the forefront and how she was bringing up the minorities we were always a minority so is it the, it, there's a um, documentary i don't know if you've seen it called strike a pose yes you've seen that right yes i did and how did you feel about it? Did, did you feel like they were right on what they were saying that when Absolutely. when they was exactly. like when they was like they was gonna sue her and stuff for just using them and the young man who died who was one of the dancers who died and he was like I didn't think she was gonna use the kiss which was a big thing for the documentary and she he didn't want to come out like that did, 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 because you knew some of them how did you feel, feel about that like like you said that she 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 was smart enough to use what she could yeah she um madonna has has done that from the beginning she she used the gay guys who knew how to dance better than her you know not that she was a bad dancer but they knew she knew that they were, they were going to make her look good and she used that time hold up I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. We had we had a delay, people. He had to get some stuff real quick. A vitamin break, okay? Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> sorry, are they are they sorry. the gummy vitamins or the gummy vitamins? Can can I tell the people what you told me to take? And I saw that taking it. Yeah, well, yeah. So he he's taking it. He he's taking the gummy vitamins, but he also has a vitamin they take called the collagen. And if you see this, this he says he's forty six, but bitch, he's doing what J Lo's doing with this hoe. She damn near fifty something, and this hoe looked thirty something. This motherfucker looked the same goddamn way. I just, just don't understand. So now, you're welcome. You're welcome, and he's shining and shit. So I'm just saying, people, get on your vitamins because y'all drinking and shit, and some of y'all motherfuckers. Are using drugs and meth and shit. You need and drinking Hennessy. You need to turn around and take some vitamins and water, and you'll be fine. I'm just saying. But I am drinking my wine, but that's good for your heart. <laughs> I drink your collagen pills and your gummy vitamins every single day. So my mother, my mama, interrupted this <laughs> to give me my vitamins. I'm a good boy. That, that that's right. Go ahead. So I was saying, but bringing it back to Madonna. So that documentary, I do feel like her dancers are correct. That they feel a little exploited, cheated. Um, they feel, I guess, some of the residuals, some of the whether they should have been paid by her and all that. Some of the things that just even just the interaction that you know, the, one of the guys was straight and that was exploited and. And all her in her film and everything like that. So yeah, they were um, they were cheated on by Madonna, and they should sue her. You know, and she made a lot of money off of these guys, mm-hmm. and and now they have nothing to show for it. They, I don't know if they weren't paid well or they didn't have good agents or good managers, but Madonna took advantage of that. They were they they were ki- they were kids from the streets. Like of most course, kids from the, kids the streets, 
they were making movies. They were Madonna was the hottest thing back then, and you know she was a legend in her own name, and you know she she made her name for herself, and you know they had her as diva, and she she ruled the world like she wanted to, like she said that she wanted to rule the world, and she did it. She did it during her time or her peak time, and she exploited these guys that were young. You know, they were from the streets. They were touring the world and they went on world tours and she used them for everything that she could. And then when she got her time, she left it. So I want to I want to go on this subject real quick, real quick, because our time is starting to slow, uh, slow down. Um, now, you've been around, you know about Madonna, you know, you know about Marsha P. Johnson, you live the streets of Christopher and Christopher Street. What? What about Party Monster? I've seen Party Monster um, Party Monster the movie. What was it in that time with the clubs? Because it seems like the clubs are so exciting and so great c- compared to now where all you have is just a bar or a lounge. What was it? Because I have to say at that time for me like uh, let's say the two the nineties to two thousand let's say the two thousands, they still had a a bit of those clubs where you have five rooms that you can dance in and find what you want, and you still had clubs you could party hop in and 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 let's club until six in the morning and then go get breakfast. What was it like in the nineties for that? Because you hear Party Monster with the tunnel and or can you just push out some some places that you know. I know Pyramid Club, the Tunnel. Um, um, I forgot the church one, Lamblight. Um, Lamblight. Yes, and and I only went to Lamblight like literally the last time when it was it was like closing. So can you give me a walkthrough of that and what that experience was like and and what made it so great? Well, everybody was going to the clubs. Everybody was going to Lamblight. Everybody was going to the Tunnel. Everybody was dressing up. Um, the amount of drugs that people were having was like candy. Um, people were doing drugs left and right. Um, nothing was being monitored. There wasn't like bouncers who were going to bounce you out. You would do drugs, any type of drugs. Um, I saw it. I never did any drugs. Thank God I was fortunate. I had my own mind. But I hung out with everybody who was drugged up, drinking and doing drugs. And it was a big party and they would sell you drugs in the clubs. Bouncers that were there to protect you were drug dealing. They had a side hustle. Their side hustle was to bring drugs into the club. So everybody was partying big time. Everybody was drugged up. Didn't even remember. By the time 5 o'clock in the morning hit, you would see them on Christopher Street throwing up on the corner. There was people, there was prostitution, young trannies i i still use trannies Mm -hmm. were out there selling themselves after the club because all these old white men used to come pick them up after the club and that's how they made their money and they would have money for the next day to do the drugs all over again a lot of the stuff was also given to you it was just like people were handing out uh, stuff like tic tacs it was Mm -hmm. something you didn't even have to have money to do drugs. It was just something that you did. Mm-hmm. You partied your butt off. So it's a little more controlled today. Mm-hmm. Not that people are not having drugs. 
because people are having this where there's on the beginning of time people have been partying with drugs mm -hmm. and people will continue doing that but it's a little more controlled they you go through metal detectors you go to the back mm -hmm. then you didn't go through no metal detectors mm -hmm. you you could have weapons on you you could do whatever it, it was a free fall times were not as dangerous as it was people weren't shooting you and all that even though they can go to the clubs and do whatever mm -hmm. but it was just different times it was mm -hmm. just different times today you go through metal detectors they might be patting you down so you might not be able to bring as many things maybe the bouncers are not bringing the drugs in like they used to you mm -hmm. know um and there wasn't people like angel with his wings selling the drugs right there in the club selling them on the christopher street and you know and rolling around club to club like dealing shit now you know? angel was the gentleman who was killed by um alec right from party yes. monster uh -huh. and alec is about your age am i right wrong or right yeah they were they were all about my age similar age yeah do you have a, a big memories of a party that you went to that was like outrageous how you see on TV? Like was was it really like that or do you remember a specific place that was like that? Um yeah, I remember going to the tunnel and people were not only having sex right there on the dance floor, but doing drugs and people doing lines of coke in each other's body off of each other's body off of each other's chest and mm -hmm. drinking and having like contests. People were, it was like they were so strung out on everything that it was a big blur. Mm -hmm. But obviously I was so sober. So I would see these things and I would be like, oh my God, there would be people laid out half naked and people doing lines off of each other's chest and everything mm -hmm. like that and drinking like crazy and sharing pills who knows what kind of pills uh, they just these days they call them mollies or whatever mm -hmm. um they were just doing everything I, it was as outrageous as you saw in the movie probably even more what, what can i ask do you find that they were more united with the straight community mm -hmm. than they are now like was it more mixed like gay and straight or was it more just gay it was more just gay I didn't see a mixture of like straight people. I think there might be a more of a mixture now. I think so. I don't go to clubs that often now, but I, I, my perception is that maybe some straight people do go to gay clubs now. Mm. But back then, no, it was all gays. It was mm. gays, bisexuals, trans, everything you can think of. But it wasn't. I didn't see that many straight people per se. Mm -hmm. yeah. What made made you? be the person that you are today. Like, you see some people who, who they are so underground, they are so underground that they, um, they, they, you know, they just doing sewing or whatever and you're doing what you do now. What got you out of that to where you are today? Well, I came from a family that my parents are still married, so I was one of the fortunate ones. I didn't come from a broken home. Both of my parents are still married. 55 years, they've been together for 60 years. 
uh, both my parents instilled in us to work hard. So we always worked hard from, I remember from way back when, even though I grew up in the projects and everything like that, even though I stood and hung out in the village to five o'clock in the morning and sneaking out of the house, I still had a foundation that I need to have respect for my parents, um, not do any drugs, definitely use condoms. I had a job at an early age. I remember my parents, my father having us go pack groceries in a supermarket to earn some money because it, working is what you needed to do to, to have a foundation in this country. Mm-hmm. So it kept me busy in the sense that I wasn't out um, doing drugs and all that, even though I hung out with people and I saw drugs every day. Mm-hmm. And I was, so they constantly had these conversations. Different one it was today, my parents constantly had conversations and they instilled in us getting our education. So even though I lived in the project and every, my parents moved around to better places, so better neighborhoods. So even though we were, in the Bronx, we kept on moving to better neighborhoods because they were trying to shield us of some of the shit that was going on. The street, there was still street violence and stuff like that. Mm. There was still stabbings. I saw people getting stabbed in front of my face. Um, but we kept on moving to better and better places. And that, that put a, a foundation in my mind that education was more important. Mm. And I could still do my hanging out and stuff like that but I could do everything else. So that was the foundation that I had. <laughs> Shit, you was living a life. I just, I'm just saying, like, you have stories for years. <laughs> like, <laughs> An hour is not enough for us to be talking. I know. This is going to make me want to have you back for something else. I'm definitely going to have to have you back for a couple of other th- things to, um, to talk about, like, it's really interesting instance to look at somebody and talk to something somebody who lived in that time of the nineties, you know. Um I find the eighties and nineties to be fascinating. Like I I think that those two eras were one of the best eras, you know, where you are literally creative, having fun and doing your thing. Um but yeah, my sister became an attorney from the project. Okay, mm-hmm. my my sister became a district attorney, and she came from the project. Mm-hmm. So, so education was key, you know. And yeah. and I, you know, even though I hated my mother sneaking up on me in school, it made me stay in school. You know, and it's different I, today. I think that's what that's what a lot of kids need need is that they need somebody to be on them, and I think a lot of mentors are really need, needed now you know i think that especially with minorities we're so we're naturally talented in dancing and acting and, and modeling and stuff but there's more to that than just that you know and i think that people need to know that we're more than a one trick pony you know oh, and, and, and one last thing uh my my mother taught us also how to fight in the streets so she put us in a boxing club, in the boys' club, and they put us in the boys' club, and we all, uh, my brothers, we were all boxers. So we, I, I did tournaments as a young uh, person. Uh, I did kid, I did the kid gloves. My brother was in the golden gloves. So we had that foundation to actually be part of that club 
and go somewhere and stay off the streets in that in that capacity. Even if I sneaked out, I still knew that I had to go in and train and go and do tournaments. So you was a pre-boy and knew how to whoop ass. Well, I have to tell you this. This is Mr. Big Mama. Thank you so much for being on here with me. 